great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the February 22nd, 2015 edition of Season 2 of The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network, the premier place to get all your sports news and information regarding the Yeshiva League. The Court Report comes to you every Sunday night at 7 p.m., as well as an encore presentation on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Every week we'll take a look back and a look ahead at all things Yeshiva League. Had a game this week? Let us know. You can friend me on Facebook. Send me a message. My name is Elliot Weiselberg. That's W-E-I-S-E-L-B-E-R-G. Or you can like the Court Report fan page. You can also follow me and tweet me on Twitter. My name is Y-L-S Wiseguy. That's Y-L-S-W-E-I-S-G-U-Y. Because if I don't know about it, we can't talk about it. Thank you again to our amazing sponsor, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Crown Trophy of Brooklyn has been servicing the Yeshiva League for over a decade now, and if you've won a championship within that time, you've already benefited from their amazing handiwork and craftsmanship. Please give Mike, Larry, and the entire gang a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your trophy and plaque needs. Again, I'm your host, Elliot Weiselberg, coach official analyst, but most of all, like you, I am a Yeshiva League fan, and I am humbled and privileged to be able to share the amazing interests and accomplishments of these kids with you each and every week. If you have a smartphone and haven't downloaded the NSN app already, please do so. You'll have access to all of this season's episodes of The Court Report, as well as last season's. Plus, you'll be able to send in comments for each show. Please keep the comments nice, though. Much like the show is not about me criticizing, degrading, or disrespecting players or coaches, please be courteous enough to do the same. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Court Report. As you heard in our opening, that was the pregame speech from Herb Brooks to the U.S. team, the U.S. team in the 1980 Olympics against the Soviet Union. Um, very apropos, actually. Today is the 35th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. I think it's very, very appropriate, actually, that uh, it takes place now. This past week, we celebrated Rosh Chodesh Adar, actually a month of miracles, given uh, that Purim is coming up next week. So, uh, kind of apropos that they fall out in the same time period this year. We'll get to more of uh, Miracle a little later, because uh, the day sort of commands it. Uh, first, um, again, thanks to everybody for last week for uh, bearing with me. Was not feeling well last week, so put in a little bit of a half show. 
Um, thank you all for your well wishes and for checking in on me afterwards. I am 100% better now, and I am looking forward to putting together a great show for you today. Uh, also, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, I will be back behind the broadcast mic for my first game in quite a while, actually. I don't even remember the last time I broadcasted a hockey game, but tomorrow, or basketball game for that matter. But Tomorrow, oh, actually, I do. The basketball was easy. Basketball was last year during the Sarachek tournament. Hopefully, I will join Max live again for another uh, another episode of that this year if they choose to accept me back. Um, but hockey, hockey, it's been a while. I really can't remember the last time I was behind the mic for a hockey game. But will be I will be doing so tomorrow night uh, for the SAR Hank doubleheader, um, unique doubleheader, seeing as how it is a a two it's two games with the same teams in the playoffs in the same round facing against each other we'll get to that a little later on I'll, I'll let you know exactly how you can tune into that um but just back to the day because today is kind of an important day in american history um over the last few years i've really taken an interest in just Delving into the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, the the history, the players, and to the point where I, I've really become a fanatic about it. Herb Brooks was one of my coaching mentors and somebody that I really paid attention to uh, when putting together my philosophies and uh, and Miracle, which came out uh, about. 11 years ago at this point, uh, was one of my favorite, favorite movies. What people may not know is that it's not the only movie uh, made concerning the day. Um, A couple of years ago, I stumbled upon a documentary uh, called uh, Do You Believe in Miracles? It's it's an hour-long documentary uh, that goes through the the lead-up to the game, and it gives a little bit of the history, and it has some of the players there, and and it's it's interplayed between some of the players and some of the action that went on over the day, and they get their take on it. Um, Also, a few years ago, I bumped into the book, The Boys of Winter. I'll get to that in a second, actually, but there are a couple of other movies. There was actually a movie, uh, Miracle on Ice, that came out in 1981. Uh, It's more of an old Z-time movie, but I'd highly recommend it for for you if you thought Miracle was a great movie. Miracle on Ice uh, really delves into uh, uh, the story a little bit more, and it's kind of different than what you see in the Miracle Disney version. But it's still a great view all the same. Uh, recently, they've actually come out with two other documentaries, and I thought these were really cool. Um, there's a new movie out, Red Army, and also there's a new ESPN 30 for 30 that came out this month called Of Miracles and Men. Now, those two, opposed to the others two, um, actually take the view of it from the Soviet side. So we get to see a little bit more of what was going on with the Soviets uh, at that point, their view on it, how they, ca- how they came into the game, what their approach was, and it also delves into the history of Soviet sports, which I actually got into a little bit reading The Boys of Winter. I'd highly recommend The Boys of Winter for somebody who just has some time to read and really wants to find out about hockey, the 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 original the origins of hockey uh, from the Soviet style, and uh, Lake Placid, and each of the members of the team. It takes you through each period of the game. Really, it almost takes you into a full play-by-play, which I thought was really, really cool. And it really breaks things down for you. It lets you know what, what times were like back then. So much, uh, so much so as the other ones do, but... I, for me, I've always been a reader, so when it came to it, I, th- I, I gained more out of it, learning more quotes, uh, which I'll actually share with you later, one that I took from the book that has really shaped my life to this point from Herb Brooks. 
So if you are a fan of the 1980 game or you just want to find out more about it, you can go on YouTube, you can watch the game itself, which I'd highly recommend. I think that's the best thing of anything for you to watch and experience it on your own. But if you want to actually get the full experience, take a look at these movies, take uh, take a look at that book, and just really learn about the history of the game. I think it's very important for uh, for those of us who have wanted to study what really happened in the months leading up to the game and the years leading leading away from the game. So today, for this taping, we are on probably about the same schedule as they were closing up. This is probably the last, they probably would be in the last period right now. So at the end of this, uh, at the end of the show, I'm going to have a special treat for you, just coinciding with that. I, I'm not going to get into the history of why they were playing a mid-afternoon game. That's something for you to check out if you really wanted to read up on it in, in the history books. Like, The Boys of Winter has a really interesting story about that. But, other than that, also, for Tuesday the 24th, which is going to be when this show airs on its encore, it will be the day that the U.S. defeated Finland to clinch the gold medal. Now, again, just want to dispel uh, the myth that a lot of people have. The way the Olympics worked back then, not the same as it worked today. It's not as if the U.S.-Soviet game was a semifinal and the U.S.-Finland game was a championship. A lot of people don't know that. Um, actually, the Soviet Union ended up with the silver medal. It was much different then. In order to advance to a medal round, you needed to play in a round robin. You needed to have the top two points in your in your group. There were two groups. So the top two teams, uh, points-wise, in the groups moved on to the gold medal stage. So four teams advanced. That would be the U.S., Finland, Soviet Union, and Sweden. Now, the way it worked was you had to face the two teams that you didn't face in the original round robin. So your record carried with you from that game. So the U.S. tied Sweden, so their time moved to that to that stage. But the U.S. still had to face the Soviet Union and Finland. So if the Soviet Union and, you know, their games against the Soviet Union and Finland were just actual regular games with the, with the end result counting for points in their group, at the end of that, whichever team had the most points would be the, the gold medalist, the second most would be the silver medalist, the third would be the bronze medalist. There was actually a scenario where even after the U.S. beat the Soviet Union in their game, where they may not have medaled at all which would have been a fascinating footnote, having defeated the Soviet Union, but losing to Finland and having a certain scenario happen where the U.S. would be jumped in the uh, in the standings and would have walked away with nothing at all. I wonder how history would have looked back on it and whether or not we would have actually made as much out of this as we actually did from that, uh, from that sheet of ice on Lake Placid. Uh, speaking of hockey... Uh, let's get into today's proceedings. We are going to continue with our playoff rundown, and let's first start with JV Hockey. Let's first remind you of the playoff brackets. In the first round, we had the following matchups. West number 4, JEC, and East number 5, Hafter, playing with the winner facing East number 1, Rombaum, and West number 2, Frisch versus East number 3, Flatbush. In the other bracket, East number four Hank and West number five MTA in the play-in game, with the winner facing West number one SAR, and on the other side of it, East number two DRS and West number three TABC. Now, as you know from last week, Hank defeated MTA four to one in the first ever JV play-in game to advance to play SAR, and in the other game played on the week, DRS defeated TABC four to nothing. 
This left one preliminary game to be played, and that being JEC and Hafter. Originally, that game was to be played on Tuesday night, but because of the threat of bigger snowfall and bad driving conditions, that game was pushed off to last night, but was again pushed off to this afternoon because of last night's snowfall. Now talk about your bad luck. Even worse luck, the winner gets Rambam. Even worse luck, that game's tomorrow night. Just to run down the history between the two teams, well, actually, there is none. Uh, you have Hafter, a school that has won five JV championships, second most in the league's 18-year run, and JEC, a school playing in their first-ever JV postseason matchup. That, however, has no bearing on what these teams have actually accomplished this season. Both teams had statement games during the year on the positive and negative ends. For JEC, the close 3-2 loss to Frisch showed just how competitive this team could be. But on the other end, the 2-1 loss to Ramaz in Ramaz and the 11-1 loss to SAR to Cap this season also left people scratching their heads. Uh, for Hafter, beginning the season with the one nothing loss to North Shore obviously did not leave room for, uh, for high expectations on the year. But on the opposite end of JEC, the Hawks ended off a strong with a competitive 3 nothing loss to DRS and a 5-3 come-from-behind win over Flatbush. Would momentum play a role in this game? Early on, it was clear that it was a goalie duel between Jason Silverstein and Elijah Kalabach for JEC and Hafter, respectively. Both netminders were up to the task in the opening period of play, and no goals were yielded in what was a slow-paced first 12 minutes. In the second, though, that momentum kicked in and hard. The proverbial floodgates would open up, and for JEC, it would not mean positive results. Uh, a minute in, sophomore defenseman Donnie Goldberg, a key off-season transfer for the Hawks from DRS, picked a JEC player's pocket, rolled in over the half-court line, and scored to put Hafter up one nothing. A few minutes later, Hafter found themselves with another opportunity thanks to a JEC penalty, and the Hawks would make the most of it. Sophomore defenseman Brian Fold picked up a loose ball in the slot and took a shot to the net, but did not get all of it. Silverstein, expecting a rising shot, was caught off guard as Fold's rollers slipped through and into the net to put Hafter up two goals to none. JEC, sensing that it needed to press, began sending a defenseman into the offensive zone and would get caught after a steal at the half-court line. Sophomore Shia Martin moved in and dinged it off the post and into the net to make it 3 to nothing Hafter. JEC would still press, and despite Hafter being in control at this point, it did not stop the Thunder from attempting a comeback. Still in the second, face-off deep in the Hafter zone, freshman Aryeh Marcus, one of the players mentioned last week as a catalyst for JEC's offensive success this year, put one past Glaubach to cut the deficit to two. A minute later, though, Hafter would rebound and add a marker of their own when freshman Jacob Kramer, the hat-trick hero in the Flatbush game that earned the Hawks their playoff berth, sniped one to the top shelf to make it 4-1 to one going into the second intermission. In the third, JEC pressed but could do no more than hit two posts as Glaubach and the Hafter defense in front of him held down the fort, helping the Hawks advance with a 4-1 victory. So, a team that two weeks ago, looked to be on the verge of missing the playoffs, needing to defeat one of two of the top three in the division, needed to come back in the game to do so, earns a spot in the play-in game, 
goes out to New Jersey against a JEC team that had been extremely effective shutting down high-scoring opponents at home all year and laid four on them with four different scorers, Donnie Goldberg, Brian Fold, Shia Martin, and Jacob Kramer. Half the right now is clicking on all cylinders uh, with uh, with Elijah Glaubach playing well as well as they head into their quarterfinal matchup. For JEC, the season was a successful one, getting to play in and host their first-ever JV playoff game and will build towards the future with the hopes of greater success. Hafter still has tomorrow to play for. Literally, tomorrow. With the win, they will now advance to play Rambam. Again, that game will take place tomorrow night in Rambam. We will preview that game shortly. The winner of that game will move on to play the winner of the other quarterfinal matchup between Frisch and Flatbush played this past Wednesday night. The history involved in this game ran fairly deep, as I said last week. Dan LaFell, the coach for Flopwish, spent many years at Frisch, amassing three varsity championships in a five-year span. One of his former players, Frisch coach Yossi Sassoon. This would be Coach LaFell's third time returning to Frisch. Take it back to last year, where the varsity Falcons went to Frisch two days before Thanksgiving and stuffed Frisch's turkey, upsetting the Cougars 3-2. to Frisch would return the favor in the playoffs, defeating Flopwish by the same exact score. Uh, which game would this be like? It was fairly evident early on that Flopwish would be in for a tough fight. Uh, Frisch controlled much of the first period, outrunning and outgunning the Falcons, already reeling from missing four players from their top three lines. In the opening session, though, the replacements stepped up and helped goalie Aaron Kuby keep the Cougars off the score sheet, taking a scoreless tie into the second period. The score would remain that way for much of the second period as well. Flopwish finally found an offensive gear, forcing Frisch goalie uh, Charlie Freilish to make several saves to keep it scoreless the other way. With a minute to go in the period, though, the game would find its first marker. A mad scramble in front of the net resulted in seven consecutive shots on Aaron Kuby, who made all six saves and got a glove on the seventh, but not enough as a uh, Brian Alter shot deflected off of Kuby's glove, popped up in the air, and bounced behind him and into the net to give Frisch the one nothing lead heading into the third period. Flapwish, sensing that time was running out, increased the aggressiveness to start the third, and would have the chance to tie up the game on several occasions, including a play with seven minutes to go, where sophomore defenseman Sam Laniato moved the ball from deep in his own zone, cut across the court, gained the offensive zone, and ripped the shot that glanced off the crossbar and out of play. Flapwish would push even further and come close, but with 16 seconds to go, Flapwish sending everyone to the house. Sammy Weissner gained possession and slipped a pass through to Yehuda Brin, who went in all alone on Kubi and put a top shelf for the insurance goal, leading to the 2-0 Frisch victory. So here is where we stand for the next week in JV Hockey. Rambam will meet up with Hafter tomorrow night in Rambam. This game will be a rematch of last year's semifinal contest in Rambam, in which Rambam came from behind to defeat Hafter 3-2 on two goals in the final five minutes of the game. Earlier this season, the teams played two games against each other. The first contest yielded a 4-1 victory by Rambam in Rambam, while the second game in Hafter occurring after the break was an 8-0 romp of Hafter. In that game, the Ravens started backup netminder Benji Arye in net, replacing general starter Daniel Petrokowski. Interestingly enough, Arye might get the nod tomorrow night as well, with Petro dealing with an injury. I don't believe that it would really affect the final score. I still feel that Rambam, who has ran up monster goal totals on teams all year, and has been extremely effective on D in their own zone, will step up to the plate and give Arye the cushion he needs to nail down the victory. Hefter has picked up a ton of momentum with their 
recent wins and have already uh, pulled down one upset this postseason. So it's not a stretch to say that a perfect game would mean another upset, turning the JV hockey world on its ear by eliminating the preseason and really all-season championship favorites. But it would really take that perfect game, and even that may not even be enough. Right now, everyone is pretty much rooting for Hafter to take advantage of the fact that Petro may be in net, but it's not really going to matter if they can't keep with or allow Tannen and Schaki and Lichter and can't keep them off the boards. Uh, like that one, Green? I didn't mention you. Do something about it. And I don't think that Hafter will be able to keep up. Rambam is just too fast, too strong, and too good. And with Hafter still recovering from today's game, I see fatigue playing a major role as the game moves along. My call is a Raven 6-1 victory and hope that there is no excessive celebration after this one. The winner will take on Frisch, presumably late this week, be it Saturday night or Sunday, or possibly even early next week. In the other bracket, SAR and Hank are playing tomorrow night. This will be the first game of what will be a JV Varsity playoff doubleheader. Now, that concept isn't really unique. You see all the time where teams that have uh, both JV and Varsity teams, uh, or you know, JV and Varsity home games, where they'll have one team uh, play right after the other. But generally, you will not see when it's against the same schools. You're holding a doubleheader playoff game where the JV and Varsity play against two different schools on the same night is very common. However, it's extremely rare to have a scenario where two schools have both teams playing each other in the same round on the same night in the same place of a JV varsity doubleheader. I actually believe that this will be the first time ever that this has occurred. I mean, we've had 17 prior rounds of JV playoffs since 1997, and after asking around, no one in the league can find me another time where it's happened. So I'm going to go along with the theory that this is the first time that it's happened, unless somebody uh, can tell me otherwise. Now, as I said before, I'm really looking forward to calling this game. It's going to be a showcase of two of the top freshman classes in the JV League, with SAR's core of Jason Burian, Shua Friedman, Adam Weiss, and Gordy Kolb, and Hank's group of Jacob Schwartzman, Josh Blitzstein, and Maury Bauer. Burian and Schwartzman entered high school as top five freshman defensemen. Both teams will have their share of sophomore contributors, though. For Hank, Joseph Lindenblatt has been the team's leader all season, and in addition to Lindenblatt has been Kenny Shear, who has slowly worked his way up, putting in timely goals, especially on the man advantage. SAR has their own mirror version with Solomon Freilish and Joey McGillner, both of whom were key in their come-from-behind win over Frisch in Frisch. As a whole, SAR is clearly the more talented group, and the fact that this game is taking place in SAR makes it all the worse for Hank. It will take them some time to get used to the SAR rink, and they will likely spend the first period chasing SAR in their defensive zone. Uh, by the time Hank figures it out, though, SAR will be thinking about the post-game meal. I-, I see SAR's precision offense taking it to Hank in a way that no other team has all season, and on a smaller court, that would mean even more goals. I have SAR winning this one 6-1 or 6-2. Uh, I'll settle on 6-2 just because I know that Hank can figure out the ring at, you know, their rink at some point. Either way, tune into SAR's YouTube channel tomorrow night to hear me provide commentary for this and the subsequent Varsity game, first game starting at 7 o'clock. I usually go to YouTube and type in SAR versus whoever the opponent is, JV Hockey. So uh, if you want to listen into that game or watch that game, you can do the same. The winner will play DRS this coming Thursday night. Uh, depending on who they play, the game changes drastically for DRS. 
should Hank win, the semifinal game would be in DRS. The Wildcats upended Hank in DRS 6-2 on December 29th, their only meeting of the season. For DRS and SAR, this game would represent a rematch of last year's first-round matchup, where the Sting upset the home team Wildcats 1-0 in overtime. This time, the tables would be turned, and the matchup would feature the veritable unstoppable force and the immovable object in the battle of the top two freshmen, SAR offenseman Gordy Kolb and DRS goaltender Jakey Friedman. These two collided last year in the championship game of the 2014 Martin Weiselberg Memorial Hockey Tournament, with uh, uh, Kolb's junior high Sting walking away victorious from the encounter after he scored both goals in their 2-0 win. Interestingly enough, that came after SAR defeated the Hank junior high team in the semifinals. Should Hank emerge from tomorrow night victorious, I see DRS taking down the Hurricanes on Thursday night, and I'd put a 5-1 score on that. If it's SAR, it's a much more intriguing game at the rink. I think that SAR with the home advantage would take that in an extremely close 2-1 contest. So, before we leave JV Hockey, let's go back to our brackets and see where things stand. So, tomorrow night, Monday night, East number 1 Rambam will take on East number 5 Hafter, taking over the West number 4 slot. Uh, the winner of that game tomorrow night will face Frisch. Frisch, the winner of their Flatbush game this past Wednesday night. And in the other bracket, uh, well, if that game takes place, uh, if Rambam wins, that game will take place in Rambam. If Hafter wins, that game will take place in Frisch. In the other bracket, now, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, the SAR Sting, the West Division champions, will host the Hank Hurricanes, the East number 4 seed fresh off of their playing game victory. That game will be at 7 o'clock and, again, will be live on YouTube for you to watch and uh, see, uh, and that will I will be on call with that game. Winner of that will take uh, will take on DRS, uh, presumably I believe this Thursday night. Again, if SAR wins that one, West uh, East number two DRS will travel to SAR. If not, if Hank wins, then Hank uh, the as I said the East number four seed will travel to DRS. Moving on to varsity. Let's remind you of the varsity playoff bracket and how it looked. East number four North Shore and West number five Ramaz in a playing game with the winner facing West number one TABC. In the other, East number two DRS versus West number three Kushner. In the opposite bracket, West number four MTA and East number five in in the in that playing game for the right to play East number one Hafter and West number two SAR rematching with East number three Hank. As of today, the top half of the bracket is on to their semifinals. The bottom half will be at that point following this Tuesday night. Let's start out in the 4-5 playing game between number 4 North Shore and number 5 Ramaz. This game occurred Tuesday night, and that'll be a fairly important, as you'll see in about three minutes or so. Neither side fielding a full squad, but needing to play because of the time crunch to put on uh, to finish the preliminary games. Uh, just reminding you of the history between these two teams. The same squads met two years ago on the JV level in the quarterfinals, where West number three seed Ramaz upset the East number two seed Stars 3-1 in North Shore to advance to the semifinals, where they would fall to eventual champion TABC. Keep that in mind. Back to this year's squad, North Shore found itself without the services of senior Zach Godsey, nursing a knee injury. If I'm not mistaken, Godsey missed that playoff game against Ramaz two years ago for similar reasons. Uh, on Ramaz's end, they would be without three of their key players, defenseman Alex Glaubach and offenseman Adam Laster and Cam Valinsky, uh, who would not be able to participate in his homecoming against his former junior high teammates. 
North Shore might have hoped that uh, Brian Agus and Ben Emmerich would have been unavailable as well, given how the night would transpire. No score through the first period of play as Ian Horn and Emmerich settled in for North Shore and Ramaz, respectively. In the second, the Rams would take a delay of game penalty, and the Stars' power play would go to work. A third of the way through the man advantage, senior Bradley Lowy found fellow senior Bailey Gresham open on the right slot, setting him up for a special teams goal and a one nothing advantage for the home team. But the visitors would not stay down for long. Three minutes later, the Rams would earn a power play of their own. With 6.02 remaining, Agus sent the pass from the corner to the middle that deflected off of a North Shore player and passed Horn for the Ramaz equalizer at 1-1. With momentum regained by the visiting team, it was only a matter of time before Ramaz would get another opportunity and five minutes later, they would capitalize. With just under a minute on the clock, Jared Feingold put one home to give Ramaz the lead and confidence going into the second intermission. Coming out of the break, North Shore looked spent, and the third period showed it. The Stars spent much of the first half of the final frame chasing the Rams, but would be given an opportunity with just under 5.30 to go when Ramaz took another penalty. However, the fatigue factor played a major role, and what was a North Shore power play looked very much like a North Shore penalty kill. With about 4.30 left on the clock, disaster struck twice. Agus, playing chaser, picked up a loose ball in his own zone, drove down the left side of the court, broke in on Horn all alone, and put it to Horn's left side for his second of the night and a 3-1 lead. Right off the right off the next faceoff, Agus would do it again, breaking in on Horn all alone and putting it in the left side for his second shorthanded goal in six seconds, giving him a hat-trick on the night, all on special teams, one power play and two on the kill, giving Ramaz a 4-1 lead with 4.20 to go. Ramaz would add an empty netter two minutes later for the 5-1 final. With the win, both West teams took their play in matchups, with MTA uh, winning their game as well, meaning that five of the eight teams in the quarters would now come from the Western Conference, setting up one game with two Western Conference foes, and that game would involve Ramaz, and it would involve West Division champion TABC, a rematch of the semifinal game from JV two years ago. Uh, This was a quarterfinal game that played out Wednesday night. That's right, the very next night. But, knowing that this is the playoffs, there was not an ounce of fatigue left in Ramaz. The Rams held tough through most of the game, with Emmerich looking stellar against the top team in the league. Ramaz, still short, Lasner and Malinsky, would suffer from lack on offensive end. But then again, no one in the league has really shown enough on the offensive end to be able to counter TABC. Uh, the Storm would get on the board first, with a goal by Yair Noller in the first period. Score remained one nothing into the second. Uh, now, the rule generally has been that if you give TABC a one-man advantage, they're likely to make you pay for it. But give them a two-man advantage, and it's pretty much a guarantee. Uh, midway through the second, that's exactly what happened. TABC on a four-on-two power play. Daniel Levy found the back of the net to put the storm up 2 nothing. Levy would add another in the third, and Ramaz could never mount the offensive pressure to make a comeback. For TABC and coach Mo Fuchs, this will be the tenth consecutive year that the storm will be in the semifinals, dating back to 2006. It would be longer if not for that 2005 year with Solomon Schechter pulled off that first-round overtime stunner that Mo and I discussed in our season preview, which, by the way, at some point, we need to go back to and see how we really did with that. I think the two of us were pretty much on the money on it, if not extremely close. Uh, Maybe when we get down to the semis and the finals and there really isn't much less to talk about for an hour, we'll revisit that and actually see exactly how well we really did. 
TABC would now await the winner of Thursday night's game between Kushner and DRS. These two teams have met twice in the playoffs in the last eight years, with DRS hosting both and winning both. The West number 3 seed Cobras look to make the third time their charm. Early on, it was clear that DRS had gained a new sense of purpose following their overtime win over Hafter and tied a TABC to end the season, and the first 12 minutes of action were a solid reminder. Three and a half into the game, Kushner's Danny Blank took a tripping penalty, putting DRS on the man advantage. 30 seconds into the power play, the Wildcats would capitalize. DRS's precision passing and court awareness landed the ball squarely on the stick of Moshe Ganuth, who rifled a shot that hit Kushner goalie Jack Rees, but wound up bouncing behind him and into the net for the one nothing lead. The Wildcats would dominate the play the rest of the first period, but would not be able to add to their lead. In the second, Kushner found their court legs and were able to put a small amount of pressure on goalie Ari Guttenmacher. But as the case would be all night, they would just not be able to break through. DRS, on the other hand, would add to their margin. Well, with 138 left in the period, Daniel Sofer, cheating in from the point, snapped a shot by Rees to put the home team up 2 nothing heading into the break. Sofer would add another one with 8.05 left in the third period of play, the same exact time that Ganuth scored his marker in the first period. Four minutes later, the scoring would be completed. DRS won a faceoff deep in their defensive zone. Defensemen cleared the ball out perfectly, laying it in the Kushner zone, leading Zach Fuchs, who knifed through both Cobra defenders, picked up the ball, put it to his back end, and slid it through Reese's five-hole for DRS's fourth and final goal of the night. Guttenmacher would nail down the shutout, setting up another date between the two teams that that just can't seem to keep away from each other, DRS and TABC. That game is set for next Monday night, so we will wait till next week to preview that game. The other bracket will hold their games over the next two days. Uh, tomorrow night, we will see West number 2 SAR host East number 3 Hank, as we discussed earlier. Uh, these two teams have some unfinished business. Back in December, the two squads met up in Hank with no verdict rendered. In their prior interconference game, Hank was demolished by MTA 7 nothing, and so the expectations coming into this one was not high. SAR had just beaten Kushner and, were now, and now had the edge in the battle for the second seed. Hank also found themselves without starting offenseman Matthew Maslin for the game, making matters worse for them. However, the Canes were able to keep SAR off the board for the first period and took a 2-0 lead on goals by Matthew Rosenberg and Ezra Kushner within a three-minute span in the second. Sam Schwabe scored to cut the gap in the second, and Daniel Best added a power play marker in the third to tie the game up at two. Hank uh, would go to one of their many overtimes this year, but would be unable to capitalize, even with Josh Wangrowski, a, a power, a, a, an overtime specialist all year, having a chance at the SAR doorstep, but a beautiful uh, toe save made by Gil Fortgang to keep them off the board. Uh, both Gel- Josh Geller and Fortgang had stellar games in net, keeping both teams in contention for a playoff spot in their respective divisions. Just a look back to last year at this time for both squads, though. Hank, an inconsistent team, bowing out in the first round in a 2 nothing loss to Flatbush, only getting six shots on the net the entire night, and kept in the game solely because of Geller's play. SAR on the other end, after a disappointing year which included an opening day loss to, to JEC, finishing on the outside of the playoff race looking in. So already, both teams have, uh, have advanced further than they have in the past year. Now, this year, 
the quarterfinal game moves to SAR, where the rink, like the JV game, may have major implications on the proceedings. SAR has always been deadly on their floor, and the advantage that Hank had at home may very well be gone. That being said, it will be a battle between two of the top goalies in the league, just as it was back in December, and that should keep the game close and extremely entertaining. Geller and Fortgang should be the deciding factors, although look for a great battle between Wengrowski and SAR's Jacob Unger uh, on the offensive end. Uh, Hank, will, Hank will need to play this gym exceptionally well to be able to counter SAR, and there just isn't enough time for them to figure it out. On my end, look for SAR to take a 4-2 to win. If you are interested in watching this game and listening to uh, me do play-by-play and color commentary, or whichever one I'll be doing tomorrow night, uh, listen in, tune in again the same way you would normally tune in for the JV game, just tune in for the varsity game following right after. Tuesday night will feature the Eastern Division champion Hafter Hawks hosting the play-in winners uh, West Number 4 MTA Lions. These two teams played last year in MTA as a footnote to Hafter's championship run, which is a shame seeing as how MTA, a team that barely made the postseason last year, almost pulled off the upset at home, losing 2-1 to to the Hawks in overtime. But let's take you back to the last time these two teams met in a playoff game. All the way back to 2011, uh, Yeshiva League fans might recognize that as the year that MTA won their first championship in 15 years. What people forget is that the quarterfinal game between the two schools was a knockdown, drag-out overtime affair, where goalies Yoni Jaroslowitz and Shlomo Liebteg stood on their heads, keeping the game scoreless until the extra session, where MTA, the three-seed, upset the second-seeded Flames on a shot by then-sophomore Eitan Rosenfeld. There are many differences between this MTA team and that one, and that's why most people don't see a repeat upset. I understand that, but I also understand that as good as half there is, they have not fared well against big physical defenses this year, which is exactly what MTA is. Hafter's offensive style is based around speed, not strength, and will need to counter MTA's size with quick cuts and shots on net. This will also be a great goalie battle, with Shooky Weinstein and Ryan Gluck both having impressive years. Uh, I give the edge to Hafter because of the home court, and the fact that with the exception of the TABC game and the third period and overtime of that Frisch debacle, the Hawk offense has been able to pull goals from out of nowhere. Uh, the big problem for Hafter will be their discipline. If they don't stay out of the box this game, Ami Rosenfeld and Zev Markowitz will make them pay for it and could pull out the upset. I choose to believe that Hafter will do just enough to stay out of their own way and advance to the semis with a 3-1 victory. So just to recap our brackets for varsity uh, out of the quarterfinals, DRS and TABC have already advanced to their semifinal. Uh, games coming up this week uh, in the other bracket will be SAR and Hank tomorrow night and Hafter and MTA on Tuesday night. All this leading up to their semifinal game with the winners of those two facing and eventual meeting up of the two brackets in Lawrence Middle School on March 8th for the championship game. You are listening to The Court Report on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Elliot Weiselberg, and we are sponsored by Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. I am taking you through the week in Yeshiva League basketball and hockey playoffs. Now, let's move over to the basketball side of things. Starting off in JV. Let's take a look again at the brackets for the JV playoffs as they started out in the West. Uh, the buys went to number one SAR and number two Frisch. Number three MTA 
faced off with number 6, JEC, and number 4, Ramaz, against number 5, TABC. In the East, number 1, Flatbush, and number 2, Hafter, got buys, and number 3, faced, uh, number three North Shore, faced number 6, Rambam, and number 4, DRS, squared off with number 5, Hank. Just to remind you of how these playoffs work, again, the way it works is the top two teams in the divisions got buys. The next four teams would face each other, and it would cross over after that. So the teams would match up. The winners would match up 1, 2, 3, and 4, with the bye teams getting the 1 and 2 spots, and the top winner, the top-ranked winner in the first round getting uh, the 3 spot, the lowest-ranked winner for the division getting the 4 spot, and they would flip so that the 4th-ranked team in, the, in one division would face the top-ranked team in the other, and the 3rd-ranked team in one division would face the 2nd-ranked team in the other, and they would fall in bracket form, which we will get to later so that you're aware of how to fill out your brackets for the remaining few weeks of the playoffs. So last week, we told you about TABC upsetting Ramaz, meaning that the Storm would still not have an idea as to who they would face. That would be determined by Wednesday night's game between MTA and JEC. In the regular season, the two met at the end of December, with MTA winning 45-32. to For MTA, it would start a three-game winning streak that nailed down a first-round home game, but not enough for them to nail down a first-round bye, while for JEC, it would end up being their last loss of the regular season. In this game, JEC came out in front early and carried a six-point lead into the halftime break. The Lions, to their credit, would chip away at the lead in the second half, out-rebounding the Thunder by a wide margin. The extra possessions resulted in points for the Lions, who were able to wrestle the lead away to start the fourth quarter en route to a 45-34 11-point victory. As a result, MTA, the three seed, will now advance to play the East number two seed Hafter. Both teams are ahead of uh, where they were last year. The Hawks ended their run last year in the preliminary round, losing to YDE, while the Lions were two and eight and did not even qualify for the postseason. Because it was MTA that advanced and not JEC, TABC will now move east to play Flatbush. The Storm came within one game and one point of facing the Falcons last year before falling to SAR in the quarterfinals 29-28. to This year, the Storm will make the trip to Brooklyn uh, in the quarters. Uh, the team has been paced all year by the play of Mo Proctor, and when he has not been able to get the team going, it has struggled. Uh, for Flatbush, the only team left in JV basketball with a perfect 10-0 record. They've excelled through the play of big man A.B. Rosau and Kevin Haddad. These two teams have actually played already this year. Uh, the two sides met up in the semifinals of the Emuna Rubenstein uh, JV tournament. Uh, in that game, Rosau pulled in one of his many double-doubles on the year, dropping 21 points and 14 rebounds, while Haddad added 18 of his own for the Falcons. But Proctor outdid them both, scoring 31 and grabbing 16 boards to lead TABC to the 55-51 upset victory. Five months later, this game will be in Flatbush, with the Falcons looking for revenge, with a Yeshiva League semifinal berth hanging in the balance. That game will take place Thursday night. The winner of that Flappish TABC game will take on the winner in the game between West Number Two Frisch and East Number Three North Shore. The Stars advanced, rolling over Rambam on Thursday night to get to the quarterfinals. This meant that the winner of DRS Hank, the 4-5 game, would head to SAR to face the top-seeded Sting. 
Back in December, the two teams, DRS and Hank, met up in Hank with the Hurricanes, defeating the Wildcats 46-42 to to raise their record to 4-4. and But it would be their last win of the regular season, in which they finished 4-6 and and in 5th place in the East. For DRS, the four seed, Revenge was on their mind, and from the looks of things, Revenge came easy, as the Wildcats dominated them, dropping the Hurricanes 57-42. to So the defending champions live on to fight another day, but will need to up their game when they head to Riverdale. The Sting are on a nine-game winning streak. Again, the only game of the four currently set is West Number 5, TABC versus East Number 1, Flatbush, and that will be on Thursday night. But, just to repeat the bracket, the winner of that game will face the winner of West number 2, Frisch, and East number 3, North Shore. So, for those of you that are trying to put your bracket together, remember again, it's West number 5, TABC, and East number 1, Flatbush. Winner facing West number 2, Frisch, and East number 3, North Shore. And in the other bracket, West number 1, SAR, will face East number 4, DRS, East number 2, Hafter, against West number 3, MTA. So, just so you have uh, an idea of what I was talking about before, as you can see, the top bracket, you have East 1 Flatbush, West 2 Frisch, East 3 North Shore, West 5 TABC, who takes over the 4 spot because they were the lowest winner from the first round. And in the other side, West number 1 SAR, East number 2 Hafter, West number 3 MTA, and East number 4, who were in their right position after defeating Hank. All this will lead up to Championship Sunday on March 15th at the Max Stern Athletic Center on the campus of Yeshiva University. Moving over to varsity basketball, the playoffs were set up as follows. We'll do the same rundown for varsity as we did for JV. Uh, in the West, Frisch and TABC got the buys as 1 and 2 respectively. Heschel met JEC in the 3-6 game, and Hillel and Ramaz met up in the 4-5 matchup. In the East, Hafter and DRS took the 1 and 2 seeds. Uh, defending champion number 3 North Shore matched up with number 6 Hank, and Mag and David drew YDE in the 4 5 game. Only one game happened on the week, so let's first remind you of what occurred last week. In the West, number 3 Heschel dropped number 6 JEC 56 42, behind 19 points and 10 rebounds from Sam Lipman, and 16 and 12, respectively, from Sam Schwartzman. This countered the effort put in by Shmayahu Shulman, who led JEC with 18 points. Again, that took place last Tuesday. Last Wednesday saw Mag and David and YDE do battle. During the regular season, the teams split their two meetings, winning on the other's court by margins of four for YDE and one for Mag and David. This game was nothing like either of those. The Warriors jumped out early and walloped the Thunder 66-45. to So, Mag and David exercises their Brooklyn Demons, now already going one step further than last year, where they lost to another Brooklyn team, Flatbush, in the first round of the playoffs. In the other game that night... Hillel resisted a comeback from Amaz to down the Rams 48-45. to Hillel held a 10-point lead to start the fourth quarter, but four three-pointers by Ramaz's Sammy Merkin closed the gap and tied the game at 45, before Nathan Beebe drained two free throws to give Hillel the breathing room and the victory. So, the West teams knew where they were going, but the East was still very much up in the air. That is, until this Thursday night, when Hank and North Shore finally squared off. Although, much like the JV game, this wasn't much of a contest. The Stars thrashed Hank 43-20. to 
So we have our quarterfinals worked out. In one bracket at the top is West number four Hillel and East number one Hafter. This game will pit two of the best players in the Yeshiva League against each other, as A.B. Perlau and Nathan Beebe will square off. Perlau, a champion with DRS and JV team last year, and a catalyst for a Hafter team that two years ago struggled mightily, and has made all the difference opening up Joey Honing's offense and giving a dominant presence on the boards on both ends. Beebe, last year's scoring leader, helped lead Hillel to a 9-5 and record. This game will be played this Wednesday night. The winner of that game will square off with the winner of West No. 2 TABC hosting East No. 3 North Shore. This game will feature two distinctly different styles, but will likely be the most entertaining of the quarters. On the one hand, TABC, a guard-oriented team that thrives on a run-and-gun style offense with sharpshooters from the perimeter, featuring players like Ty Gersberg, Dan Palayoff, and Moshe Brum, who are all lethal from behind the arc, and the Stars, the defending champions, who are a more methodical team, working their big men inside, with good reason, as last year's championship MVP Cody Cohen and fellow big man Josh Heck have guided the team most of the year. Uh, for the most part, TABC's style of play has been high risk, high reward, and Norshall will get the opportunity to exploit that if they slow the pace down and make the most of their opportunities. But if the Stars allow TABC to get into a rhythm, it could be a very early exit for last year's champions, meaning that neither the winners nor the losers of last year's finals would have survived beyond the quarters. For Cody Cohen, a senior, it would mark the first time in his high school career that he would not advance to a semifinal game. In the other bracket, West number 1 Frisch will meet up with East number 4 Mag and David. Frisch, the early season championship favorites and the JV winners two years ago, uh, Benny Tuckman has stepped up to the forefront as the team's main contributor this season. But to be honest, the starting five on this squad would all be considered top stars in their own right on most teams. Tyler Hoda and Mike Finkel have excelled all year and have led Frisch to an undefeated record and currently hold the top spot in the Jewish Hoops America Top 25 rankings, which we'll get to shortly. Megan David has been paced all year by Jack Shabar, but will likely struggle to keep up with Frisch, who, outside of a bad game at the Cooper Memphis Tournament, have been lights out and will need to have a very off night on their own to give other teams a chance, much less a team that struggled to put victories together against the lower playoff teams in a less competitive Eastern Division. The winner of that will take on either East number 2 DRS or West number 3 Heschel. Suffice it to say, if you looked at these teams two years ago and had to pick where these two teams would finish during this year, you would have been skeptical to learn that these two teams had finished where they did, uh, even more so after last year, where Heschel graduated the majority of the team that went to the semifinals against North Shore and DRS, the fourth seed in the JV League in 2012-2013, and losing A.B. Perlau. That year, DRS lost to the fifth seed Ramaz Rams in the quarterfinals, while Heschel, a 3-7 and team, didn't even make Make the postseason. Both teams have surpassed expectations, though, and have made statement games against the teams that sit directly above them. DRS, despite losing to Hafter in the regular season, defeated them in the finals of the Saturn tournament, while Heschel knocked off the West number two seed TABC twice in regular season play. Now, one of these two teams will become a semifinalist. That quarterfinal matchup will also take place on Wednesday night. Again, all this leading up to Championship Sunday at the Max Stern Athletic Center on the campus of Yeshiva University on March 15th. 
Before we move over to girls, let's take a look at the Jewish Hoops America Top 25 rankings for the week, as I mentioned earlier. Frisch at the top with nine of the ten first-place votes. I believe that's appropriate. I think Frisch has earned that spot, and I think that they're the hottest team coming into the playoffs and right now should be viewed as the championship favorites. Right behind them is number two, Hafter. Hafter, uh, 25 and one record in and out of the Yeshiva League, holds the lone other first-place vote. Uh, nine of the ten going to Frisch, one of ten going to Hafter. Right behind them in third place, just as it is in the Yeshiva League Eastern standings, is DRS. Uh, behind them, just as it is in the East again, North Shore at number four. Tied in fifth, uh, counter to the Western standings is actually Heschel. Heschel, the third seed, as we said in the West, is held higher than the second seed, TABC, who comes in at ninth. Also ranking in the top 25, you have Hillel at 13. Ramaz uh, loses last week at 17. JEC not being knocked out as well over the past week at 19. Mag and David, who still has something to play for, moving up to 23rd from 25th with their victory. And dropping out of the top 25, YDE, and also coming in with uh, with, a, with a one vote, is Hank, despite their loss. Again, this took place last week, so all those don't take into account the fact that many of those teams were eliminated this past week. Let's move over to girls' basketball now. Start out with girls' A. So the quarterfinals for girls' A wrapped up this past week, and both semifinal contests are scheduled for later on this coming week. Let's first take a look at the quarters, and then we'll see how the semifinals shape up. Again, last week, two of the four games were played. Last Tuesday night, Frisch, the West number 2 seed, found itself on the losing end of an overtime upset by East number 3 Hafter, 50-42. On Thursday night, the West top seeded Bruria easily dispatched of East number 4 North Shore, 55 to 37. Those two were in separate brackets, so we would need this week's games to help us figure out how the next round would look. Tuesday night, Flopwish became the second number two seed to fall in girls basketball when they were upset by West number three, SAR Sting, 39 to 34. And in the game on Wednesday night, defending champion and East number one seed Ramaz easily did away with the Hillel Hurricanes, 62 to 32. So, because both one and three seeds advanced, we have two two games featuring intra-conference opponents. So let's call one the East Division Championship and one the West Division Championship, just to make it easier on us. In what will be the East Division Championship, Hafter, the number three seed, will travel to the number one seed, Ramaz. Ramaz won both games that these teams played this year, taking a close 61-55 battle in Ramaz in December before traveling to Hafter a week later and defeating them by 17. That game will take place Thursday in Ramaz. In the West Championship, we actually have the complete opposite scenario. Here, the third-seeded SAR Sting took both games from the top-seeded Lightning, winning in Bruria in overtime 64-59, to and then defeating them in SAR a week later by 15. Will Bruria make the third time a charm and go one step further in their quest for a girls' A championship? Or will SAR keep the streak alive and roll into the finals as a three-seed? That game will take place Wednesday in Bruria. 
Moving over to Girls B, no updates for you so far. Uh, number one, SKA, and number two, Bruria, are still waiting to find out who they face in the semis. Uh, that will be determined this Tuesday night by the three-way tiebreak elimination between Meg and David, Shalhevet, and Ilan in Bruria. The proceedings will start at 7.30 and will feature three halves of basketball with the top team moving on to play Bruria as the three seed and the second team traveling to SKA as the four seed. Those games will likely take place next week. Just to review the matchups, 7.30 on Tuesday night, Shalhevet and Ilan will play in the first, uh, the first, I guess you call it half. Ilan and Mag and David will play in the second half, and Mag and David and Shalhevet will compete in the third half, if you want to call it that. And in the JV Girls League, last week we told you that Maya Note, the top seed in the West, had defeated East number 4 Central, and East number 2 North Shore had downed West number 3 Frisch. That stands as one semifinal that will take place next Sunday at 5 p.m. in Maya Note. This week, defending champions number 2 SAR defeated East number 3 Hafter to advance. They will play the winner of East number 1 Flatbush and West number 4 Kushner. That game taking place Tuesday night with the semifinals likely to be next week. As time runs out on us today, I want to do a Words from the Wise with you. Over the last few weeks, you know, this entire year, we've been doing John Wooden. But I think that, given the day, a quote from the late Herb Brooks is in order. And there's one quote that he has that has permeated with me through through the time of reading the book that I mentioned earlier, The Boys of Winter. And I've really taken to heart because I think that it really does portray how sports is an inexact science, and sometimes the results really do not add up. Um, The quote is, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You may not be the best talented team out there, but as long as you're the one that wants it the most and works the hardest, there's no reason why you can't win and no reason why you won't win. I mentioned before that MTA team, that DRS team, and it's actually brought up to me today by by a, by one of my former players and current Hank player, Shlomo Amslam. Um, that team, that MTA team that defeated that DRS team, they weren't more talented, but they worked their butts off that game. It was a phenomenal effort. And they put it together beginning to end. DRS, easily the more talented team, found themselves on their heels most of the game because MTA just had the heart. I'm not going to say that DRS didn't work hard in that game, but they definitely did not work as hard as MTA did. Sometimes in sports, 1 plus 1 does not equal 2. And this is an example of why. Because on paper, you may look like you're the, you're the underdog. But once you get out there and once you give it everything... If you're working harder than the other team, it doesn't matter how talented they are. Anybody on any given day can overcome what the other team brings to the table. As a special treat for you, uh, to end off today, I am going to replay the last minute and a little bit after of the of the final few seconds of the uh, that game against the Soviets uh, from the Miracle on Ice game. So... After I close this out, we'll do that, and you'll uh, you get to enjoy something that happened just around about this time 35 years ago. So I hope you enjoy it. If you missed 
any part of this or any episode this season, you can also catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., or you can find the Court Report on iTunes or the Nachum Siegel Network app. Tomorrow morning, jam in the a.m. with Nachum Siegel from 6 to 9 a.m., live on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, or on your radio, 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 FM, Rockland County. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Crown Trophy of Brooklyn. Please give them a call at 718-769-4111 for all of your plaque and trophy needs. For more of me, you can hear me every Tuesday morning on Jam in the AM at around 7.20 with the Tuesday morning Jam in the AM sports update. If you haven't visited the Court Report fan page on Facebook, please do so and click the Like tab. Let's get that number up. See you next week right here on the Court Report, only on the Nachum Siegel Network. Now, with the call from the 1980 game between the USA and the Soviet Union, Al Michaels and Ken Dryden. A minute six remaining in the game. Harlemov losing it to Silk. Now Petrov control. Back to Harlemov. Skating in on the left side. Into the American end. 55 seconds, but Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in. Out in front. Backhander goes wide. I think Craig might have got just a piece of it. Mikhailov back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow checked into the boards. It comes back to center ice. 38, 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top, 4-3. to three. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlemont shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Billy Lechenov gets set by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! Hi, this is Elliot Weiselberg, host of The Court Report. Stay tuned for more amazing musical selections and programming only on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com